Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi there, and welcome to the Explaining History podcast. And today I'm going to be talking a little bit about um, the global crisis of inflation that occurs uh, from about 1916 onwards and uh, peaks in the mid-1920s um, as a direct result of the First World War. Now, those of you who do GCSE history or A-level history and have done Nazi Germany will know that by 1923, Germany had um, experienced a hyperinflation crisis. And the conventional wisdom on this subject is that the uh, Weimar government was to blame and the printing of um, banknotes in order to fund general strikers in the Ruhr who had downed tools in protest against the French and Belgian occupations uh, led to this um, spike in um, prices and, uh, well, I say spike, this um, explosion uh, in prices uh, where um, certain items by December 1923 were costing up to a, a trillion Reichsmarks uh, and a collapse in the value of currency and a collapse in the value particularly of savings thus wiping out the uh, modest means of the, the middle classes and uh, the Mittelstand, the lower middle classes um, uh, this is all correct but the um, the causes of hyperinflation go back really um, to the Kaiser's funding of the war and uh, even um, the uh, fiscal policies of the uh, Kaiser's government before the war. And the Kaiser's government was by no means the only uh, offender. Um, If you look at both um, the Austro-Hungarian Empire and the uh, Russian Empire, both of them reflected by inflation um, during the war and um, inflation particularly um, during the period of the Russian Civil War uh, is uh, something that leads to an agrarian crisis. The um, peasants well know that paper money is becoming um, next to worthless and it's one of the reasons that encourages hoarding. Um, Lenin's interpretation of this 
is that this is bourgeois capitalist speculation and that this constitutes the peasants as a class enemy and is one of the reasons for um, the policy of war communism. Though obviously war communism is also motivated by Lenin's desire for a bloody class terror. It's his opportunity in order to bring about social revolution under the shadow of civil war. But inflation does have a kind of a key role to to play here. Inflation and um, uh, shortages are part of the reason why the Tsarist government collapses in February 1917 as well. So how do we account for this um, phenomena of inflation? Well, on one level you have um, governments such as um, the Kaisers in uh, Germany who believe that um, the the war for national survival that Germany is engaged in is um, of such uh, uh, magnitude that nothing can be done, nothing should be done to affect civilian morale. The uh, the the notion of the Bergfried in Germany, the peace within the fortress, the social truce between. Um, the uh, parties of left and right, uh, the SPD, the uh, Christian Democrat Party and the Nationalist and Conservative Parties and their respective um, uh, supporters amongst the, the German population. Um, this must not be um, uh, affected in any way. The Kaiser before the war says, you know, I wish to be the Kaiser of all the Germans and uh, attempts to present himself as the um, uh, the, the kind of the, the people's Kaiser. And so the idea of introducing taxation um, during wartime, which is going to either be income tax and going to, um, uh, even if it's progressive income tax, um, upset the um, middle classes, or if or it uh, might take the guise of something uh, of a, uh, a tax on consumption, a... Um, uh, a, a sales tax, or in, as we would understand it in Britain, um, a uh, something akin to VAT, which would um, uh, place the burden of taxation on the poor. Any kind of taxation, from the Kaiser's point of view, um, uh, was going to create um, social division and unhinge this loose um, social truce that was so essential um, to keep the war effort going. And the uh, idea of social cohesion, the idea of social harmony, was one that nearly every combatant power was very mindful of. Um, the, the British particularly were aware that the war had kind of saved them by a whisker from some serious upheavals uh, with syndicalist trade unions and, you know, even more likely the possibility of a civil war in Ireland, though that is kind of a, a different story. So maintaining social harmony was important, and how does one do this? Well, one way is to put off the bill for paying for the war um, to the indefinite future, and that can be done by uh, borrowing or, in the case of the central powers who have less access to credit, by printing.
All powers were able to borrow from their populations in the guise of war bonds, um, though for many, for um, most uh, of the uh, combatants in the First World War, war bonds are something that really become a kind of a currency slightly later on, um, when the uh, treasuries uh, become progressively depleted and the uh, cost of winning and the cost of mounting major battles, such as the Battle of the Somme, become um, uh, realised. In the um, West, the British and the French and then later the Italians uh, rely on the commercial banks in America for large injections of cash. Uh, and later on, these injections of cash, as Amer- as the United States becomes more and more um, likely to enter the war as an associate to the uh, Allied powers, these injections of cash are underwritten by the Federal Reserve. So we have more money within a, a fixed economic system, um, again, which is a you know a potential potentially inflationary uh, inflationary factor. And it is, incidentally, um, this uh, Atlantic system of finance and credit, you know, the, the most advanced um, uh, hubs of finance and credit in the world really are, are London and New York, and it, New York um, outstrips London um, during the First World War. Having access to this finance is a key part of the uh, the British and the French's arsenal. Um, France, Italy and, and Russia also um, are their loans uh, from the USA are guaranteed really by the City of London and uh, by the Bank of England. So the British at this stage were underwriting most of Europe's finance and credit. Um, as I mentioned in the uh, in the east, there was a reluctance to tax, particularly in Germany, and a desire to avoid um, any uh, confrontation or any um, excess um, acrimony, social acrimony, on the home front, um, and the thinking of the the Kaiser and the um, uh, Habsburg monarchy was that um, ultimately war debts would be repaid and economies would be balanced um, when the the war was won um, by uh, indemnities and reparations forced upon conquered nations such as the French or the Russians or whomsoever else. So the the outcome of the war was going to pay for and finance um, the it, its cost, the cost of conquest. And the Kaiser figured that um, the German army tended to be that which performed best on the battlefield, so why not bank on the possibility that the, 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 the performance of the German army would ultimately... Um, uh, would would ultimately result in um, Germany's books being balanced at, at the end of the war. It's quite a, quite a gamble, um, and it kind of explains when Germany doesn't lose uh, the nature of the uh, epic financial crisis that engulfs Germany uh, between um, nineteen nineteen and uh, really nineteen uh, the mid nineteen thirties. 
If we're to find a real uh, culprit overall for this massive, and it's a global surge in inflation during and after the war, it's the enormous increase uh, in government debt on all accounts. So all combatant powers, because of the unexpected size and scope and scale of the war, all government powers have in enormous, um, enormous increases in debt. And with this enormous surge of um, demand in the economy, demand for really every kind of raw material, every kind of manufactured or finished product, um, the only thing that was ever going to keep prices stable was a, a, an equivalent increase in economic output. And basically, for non-economists out there, inflation tends to happen when there's too much money whizzing around a fixed system, uh, a fixed economic system, where um, there is a fixed amount of production. Therefore, if you have a factory that builds, um, that makes um, steel girders, uh, and everybody, for some reason, i.e. because it's useful for the war, is bidding with cash for these steel girders, Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. The prices of them will go up unless you can create hundreds and hundreds more, or thousands or tens of thousands of more steel girders to satisfy the demand, thus bringing down the prices. The whole of the economy becomes like a huge bidding auction. Um, and this is what happens by about 1916, in, particularly in the United States of America, which has the biggest and most productive war, um, war economy. Even though not um, a, a combatant power, it is churning out all sorts of um, equipment um, for the Allied powers. Um, and yet it reaches a kind of a production ceiling, um, it will... Um, whereby after which it cannot produce more goods without long-term capital investment, the building of new roads, railways, factories, ports, docks, coal mines, that kind of thing. Um, the America that existed in the Second World War had gone through that process and had had substantial more, uh, substantially more industrialisation uh, and development 
um, between um, 1916 and 1941, when she joins the war. Um, there is a brilliant point that Adam Tooze makes in The Deluge, when he says that in um, 1917, when the Americans come to Europe, American soldiers are fighting with French rifles, whereas in the Second World War, after 1944, when the French um, land um, at Normandy with the British, you've got French soldiers fighting with American rifles. So uh, America hasn't quite become the, um, uh, the, the uh, productive superpower it is in, in, during the Second World War. And again, that means that um, there are these considerable inflationary pressures. And the inflationary pressures spill out of Europe and America across the world. You have um, prices in Africa um, for basic sta um, staples shooting up um, by uh, a factor of five. Um, you have uh, the uh, w wages of workers in Rhodesia uh, dropping by, um, well, the real wages of workers, shall we say, in Rhodesia, dropping by 50%. Uh, in Egypt, um, the cost of living uh, escalates dramatically because the British, who dominate uh, Egypt, switch the value of the currency, which was once based on the um, prices of Egyptian cotton, to the um, values of uh, to the, the basically the price of British war debt. So the uh, Egyptian currency is linked to Britain's debts. And suddenly, as a result, um, Egypt's money supply explodes and so does inflation. Um, the uh, same process happens in India. And in both Egypt and India, you're dealing with largely agrarian peasant societies where the peasants themselves are very uh, loath to, um, as with Russian peasants, uh, loath to rely on paper money, paper debt, um, and have a tendency to hoard, uh, which inevitably has a knock-on effect when it comes to um, the food supply in rural areas and the possibility of, of drought. Eventually, the, uh, in India, the Americans step in and begin to supply the Indian economy with silver again. And, it, and the uh, Indian peasants tend to prefer to have silver coin, knowing that its value is um, far less likely to depreciate uh, than, than paper money is. The combatant powers, in nearly every single instance... Uh, all find they have serious unrest on the home front and the um, strikes that you can see happening in Britain during the First World War and in Germany have less to do with the objections of um, British workers to things like conscription or uh, the war in question. You know, various... Um, um, Marxist historians have tended to appropriate the industrial unrest on the home front as some kind of um, statement in favour of peace. But if you look at the attitudes of British workers by the end of the First World War, 
Um, they tended to look at the war as having been a worthwhile endeavour, they tended to look at the war as having been really necessary, and they tended to look at the war as having been really an act of German aggression and an opportunity to punish the Germans. This is the uh, 1918, December 1918 coupon election really is, is largely fought around this theme. So the argument that there are these kind of um, uh, radical anti-war workers out there on uh, mass, I mean there are obviously a few, um, is, um, uh, is dubious. The, the thing that the, in uh, Germany, in France, in Britain and in other combatant countries that the workers are striking over is prices and wages. Workers who have managed to secure themselves um, jobs in important war industries are more able to extract higher pay claims. And Lloyd George, um, as Chancellor, was quite aware of this and in 1915 was prescient enough to have the trade union leadership into number 11 um, to sign what he uh, was loosely called the Treasury Agreement, which was um, an understanding on industrial action during the war, and it was um, one which made sure that uh, more essential workers did receive preferential pay, in return for an end to uh, strikes and lockouts and uh, restrictive closed shop practices that kept um, non-skilled or non-unionised workers out of skilled jobs. Because obviously if you have uh, skilled workers going off to the front, you need people to fill their roles. And the, uh, the unions were um, agreed uh, not to um, prevent this from happening. It also meant that the unions had more input in the war economy and in, in planning and this has a knock-on impact in attitudes towards the unions in the post-war years and attitudes towards planning in general. Um, this was this, this general loose agreement by Lloyd George's was um, given, put onto statute in the Munitions of War Act 1915, so eventually striking became um, illegal anyway. But the government were wary of uh, cracking down on it to a, a greater extent during the war. So this surge in inflation is just one of the aspects of the, the kind of the, the unbalanced global economy that emerges um, after 1918. The um, British wartime economy doesn't really uh, manage to rebalance itself after the war. There's a brief economic boom uh, from 1919 to 1920 where um, the, the government uh, predicts that repressed demand for um, luxuries and um, household items that people haven't been able to buy during the war um, because of the uh, German U-boat blockade and then following, 19, uh, following the institution of rationing in 1918 um, because, um, they, they believe that um, this repressed demand will come to meet um, a, a new increase in um, the supply and availability of goods now that obviously there is um, a much decreased demand for um, uh, military hardware and that the economy will somehow balance itself and prices will um, come down and there will be a... Um, relatively stable economy and there is for a, a year 
Um, and then there is a collapse. The uh, there is a, a a bust that follows the um, the brief boom, and it's a bust that's based around the kind of the long term structural problems that um, have existed within the British economy and have been exacerbated by the war. Um, older, uncompetitive industries which have really suffered as a result of the war, and have lost world share and world markets. Um, the, for the rest of the world, um, you have a decade uh, in the 1920s that is based on um, a really, really shaky foundations. There is um, uh, too much money in the uh, global economy. Um, this means that um, there, are, there is a, a tendency towards inflation across the world. And the large amount of debt that's accrued means that there is an awful lot of speculative capital uh, available. The uh, brief boom in Britain that happens, as I've mentioned, between 1919 and 1920, sees the biggest influx in British history uh, of capital into the stock market as people sought to buy up um, some of the, the kind of staple British industries of steel, shipbuilding, cotton and uh, coal. Uh, only to find really that these are industries in terminal decline. And similarly, by the end of the 1920s, in both America and Britain, it's large uh, influxes of speculative capital uh, into the stock market that uh, cause uh, uh, the kind of destabilisation that leads to the Wall Street crash and is one of the contributory factors to the worldwide uh, economic slump during the 1930s. Anyway, I hope you found this useful. This one goes out to my, my good friend Bill in Penzance, who has been kind enough in financial terms to uh, send the Explaining History podcast something of a stipend um, and uh, mentioned that he was kind of keen to listen to some economic history. So I, I, hope, this, uh, I hope this finds you well today. The Explaining History podcast marches on to uh, its uh, 40,000th subscriber. We are but a few hundred listeners off that glorious figure. So thanks everyone for supporting us so far. It's been an absolutely amazing year and we're only halfway through. Um, there are two new textbooks coming out um, the for the Edexcel and AQA syllabuses, so they should be uh, ready to order pretty soon. Um, I've got a new ebook uh, in the post. Um, my publishers are uh, getting ready to put it out there on uh, Victorian Britain, and I should be ready to publish the uh, late next in the century series by Tyrell Eskelson on the American century in the next few weeks. So keep your eyes peeled for all these exciting new developments and I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 